This is One Oak Church. We exist to share the hope of Jesus. No matter who you are or where you're at in life, you are welcome. Our mission is simple, to bring people that are far from God close to Him. Tune in as Pastor Robbie Emery shares how we change the world by loving God and loving others. Matthew chapter 25, verse number 35. It says, for I was hungry and you fed me, Jesus speaking. I was thirsty and you gave me a drink. I was a stranger and you invited me into your home. I was naked and you gave me clothing. I was sick and well, you took care of me. I was prison. I was in prison. I, I did something wrong, but you still, you still came and visited me. Then these righteous ones will reply, Lord, when did we ever see you hungry and feed you? Or thirsty and give you something to drink? Or a stranger and show you hospitality? Or naked and give you clothing? When did we ever see you sick or in prison and visit you? None of this applies to you, Jesus. This, this never happened to you. When did we ever do any of these things? Verse 40. And the king will say, I tell you the truth. When you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you were doing it to me. When you did it to the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you were doing it to me. When you went to the hospital, you were, you were visiting me. When you stopped by the prison, though they were there by their own doing, you were visiting me. When you clothed those who didn't have any clothing, you did it to me. You gave me that. You gave me that. And so today we're going to talk about the least of these. The least of these. Let's pray. Jesus, we love you. And we thank you for bringing us together into this great house, your house, a house of prayer, a house of change, a house of deliverance. I pray, God, for every person that's in this room today. God, I pray that their lives would be forever changed. I pray that we'd find hope in you and know that your grace and mercy is, is for us each and every day. It's new today. We woke up this morning with new mercies. I pray, God, today that you would just do a work in this house and lives would be forever changed. We believe in great things from you, God. And God, we pray that tonight at 8 p.m. Central Standard Time, God, the Houston Rockets would demolish game four the Dallas Mavericks. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. 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 Thank you, John. How many of you, ask a question, how many of you used a, a mirror this morning? How many used a mirror this morning? That's, I know it's an odd question. Show of hands. How many used a mirror this morning? Weird. Some of you are not raising your hands. How many of you like mirrors? How many of you like them? Like mirrors? I know it's an odd question, but we're going somewhere. There's a point to this message. I like mirrors. Me too. I, I just call me vain, whatever. I like mirrors. I, I feel there's, there's a reason for mirrors. I feel they're important. Give me tinted glass on a car and I'm going to look in it. 
Just give me, you know, give me a spoon that's really clean and I'm going to make sure that everything's all good. It might be a little distorted, but I'm going to check in. Did you notice the big mirror wall when you walked into the church this morning? Mirrors are important. Reflection is effective. It's efficient. It's helpful. Now, my wife is not this way. She doesn't like mirrors. I remember when we started dating that uh, she just said, I just don't like mirrors. I, I, I'm, I don't like mirrors, Robbie. I'm not into mirrors. I'm not like mirrors. I'm like, this might be a problem in our relationship if you don't like mirrors. I, I like mirrors. Now, she says, I, why, why, do you like, why don't you like mirrors, Danielle? I said, well, it's so focused on me. I just don't want it focused on me. I just don't want it, everything on me. And I, I can get that. And we've been married for 15 years. And my wife, she looks in the mirror once in the morning and for 24 hours she doesn't need to look in the mirror again that's just perfection that's what i believe that's what i tell her just amazing one time one and done now me on the other hand i'm gonna have to i'm gonna be checking all day i'm gonna need to look you say robbie it's because you're vain i said no it's i say it's because you're judgmental and um i like mirrors because i believe mirrors are helpful Mirrors are helpful. If you got a little something hanging from your nose, mirrors are helpful. If you got some spinach in your teeth, mirrors are helpful. Now let me ask you a question. Are you the kind of friend that you tell someone when they got something in their nose or spinach in their teeth? Now I'm, I'm not that guy. I see, because I, sometimes I think if we're with a group of people that you're more, you embarrass that person even more by telling them in front of the girl, you got something in your teeth. And you like embarrass them even more. They, you know, other people know, everyone's got it. Maybe you should tell them, I don't know. I just don't know what to do. So I just default to not saying anything and just say, hey man, here's a mirror. Go check yourself out. But mirrors are helpful. Mirrors are important. If you've never looked yourself in the mirror, you, you know, there, you might not be able to fix some things that are going wrong in your life. The word of God is a mirror. A lot of times we don't read the word of God because we don't want to see what we look like. It's a reflection of who we are. We read the word of God and we start to uncover some things and see some things in our lives that we might need to change. Some imperfections, some stuff that's stuck. We need to get out. I think this parable plays a role as a mirror for all of us. It's a glimpse of what should be happening daily, not just seasonally. In verses 35 through 36, Jesus said, you, you noticed the hungry and you fed them. You saw the thirsty and you gave them drink, extended hospitality to the stranger. You clothed the naked. We're not only aware of the sick, but also cared for them, had mercy on the prisoners and visited them. That's what the scripture's saying. Jesus said, you did all these things. You gave food to those who were hungry. You gave drink to those who were thirsty. You gave clothes to those who were naked. You visited those who were sick and you cared for them. You loved them and you showed hospitality to the stranger. In James 2, 14 to 17, what good is it, dear brothers and sisters? If you say you have faith, but don't show it by your actions, can that kind of faith save anyone? Suppose you see a brother or sister who has no food or clothing and you say, goodbye, have a good day. Well, they think you should say that in a British accent. Goodbye, have a good day. Oh, that's a horrible British accent. <laughs> Stay warm, eat well, but then you don't give that person any food or clothing. What good does that do? 
So you see, faith by itself isn't enough unless it produces good deeds. It is dead and useless. Don't get mad at me. That's the word of God. I have faith, I'm a believer, but if it doesn't produce good deeds, what good is it? Those to whom the Lord will say, enter in good and faithful servant will be those who just did not see a need, but those who actually met the needs of others. This is not just a place, this is not just a social club. The church cannot be a social club. It cannot just be a place where we gather. We have to be the hands and feet of Jesus and that's the action items of him. We have to help those who are hurting. We would do well to remember this, that we are not saved through works, but rather because of our genuine salvation, we will perform works that actually touch the lives of people. A good friend of mine says it this way, salvation is not the result of works, but works will be the result of salvation. If you're saved, you will not have to say it. We will be able to see it. This is one of the most vivid parables Jesus ever speaks of. And the lesson is crystal clear, that God will judge us in accordance with our action to human need, in accordance with our action to how we treat our brothers. In fact, it's how we love one another that people will know we're the disciples of Jesus Christ. A lot of things, I'm, I'm not saved by works, that's absolutely right, that work has already been done. Jesus Christ performed that on the cross. There's nothing we can do to be saved, but it's what we do that helps others become saved. It's our witness, it's our example, it's how we treat one another, it's whether we love one another, it's the people in this room and it's the stranger on the street. I'm gonna preach somebody today. His judgment does not depend on the knowledge we have amassed or the fame that we have acquired or the fortune that we have gained, but on the help we have given. There are certain things which, is, which this parable teaches us about help we must give. Number one, small step, simple solutions. The things which Jesus picks out. Hungry man a meal. Thirsty man a drink. Welcoming the stranger. Recouping the sick. Visiting the prisoner. You know what these are? There are small steps, simple solutions. These are things every one of us can do. Every one of us can provide a meal to somebody. Every one of us can help someone in need. Every one of us can provide water to somebody. Every one of us can, every one of us can clothe somebody. We can, we can just be kind to someone. Every one of us can do these simple things, these small steps, simple solutions. It's not a question of giving away, giving away thousands of dollars or getting our names in the annals of history. No, it's a case of giving simple help to people we meet every day. Small steps, simple solution. Number two, strings. Has someone ever done something for you or 
or you knew there were strings attached, they've done something from you, but you knew that the reason why they're doing it is there's strings attached, so now you're the Pinocchio in their world, you're this marionette puppet that in their world, you know, there's strings attached. Those who helped did not think they were helping Christ. Notice in this scripture, they didn't know they were helping Christ. Lord, when do we do this for you? When, when did we do it? No, we, there was no strings attached. And they were, they just, we were just doing this because this was all the, this, because there was a need. This is the reason why we're doing this. They didn't know they were doing it for Christ. They didn't have this scripture to where we could preach today when we do it to the least of these is as unto Christ. No, they were just doing it because it was a person in need. And Jesus says, you've done this to me. It was the natural, instinctive, uncalculating reaction of human need. It was because it was the right thing to do. It was because it's the important thing to do. If you read this parable in depth, on the other hand, the attitude of those who failed to help was this. If we had known it was you, we would have gladly helped. But we thought it was only some common man who is not worth helping. If it was you, Jesus, if we'd known it was you, we would have gladly helped. But because it was just a common man, we just didn't really have the time to do it. We, we didn't know them by name, but they weren't in our family, so we didn't really have time to help. There are those who help only for praise and thanks and publicity. To help like that is not help, it is the pander of self-esteem. I do this because it makes me feel good. It helps my conscience. Such help is not generosity. It is disguised as selfishness. The help which wins the approval of God is that which is given for nothing but for the sake of helping. True love, the expression of true love is doing something for someone else and not expecting anything in return. No strings. Number three is we have to see the Savior. Jesus confronts us with this wonderful truth that all such help given is given to himself. And all such help withheld is withheld from himself. How can that be? If we really wish to delight in the parent's heart, if we really wish to move him to gratitude, and the best way to do that is to help his child. God is the father. And the way to light the heart of the father, the way to, to make the father happy is to help his children, our fellow man. It's to help those outside of these walls. It's to make a difference in our community, to help the neighbor, to help the hurting, to help those who, are, who, are, who can't help themselves is to see the Savior, is to see Jesus in your neighbor across the street, is to see Jesus in the prisoner, is to see Jesus in the stranger, is to see Jesus in the sick. A lot of times we only see Jesus in this room because we put on a suit, got a lapel flower. We think, oh, that's Jesus. But you know what? Jesus lives next to you. Jesus is across the street. Jesus is held up in prison. And then finally, save the sick. Simple steps, a small step, simple solutions. No strings. See the Savior. And number four, save the sick. 1 Samuel 30 tells one of the most, one of my most favorite stories in all the scripture. It's an incredible, epic battle recorded in scripture. It's a, it's, it records a myriad of emotions and 
attitudes and feelings, and they reach this volcanic proportion. A quick summary of the story in 1 Samuel 30 is, is that David and his army were out seeking refuge and support from among the Philistine army because Saul is trying to kill David. Saul is coming against David. And so David's trying to, I'm going to hide among the Philistines because I'll be safe there. An enemy of my enemy is my ally. And so they needed an ally and Philistine army denied solace for David and his men. And David was hiding from his own people among the enemy of his people. And David and his men, in the story, they head back to Ziklag where their families were. Their wives and their children are back there. So 1 Samuel 30, verse number one. Three days later, David and his men arrived home at their town of Ziklag. They found the Amalekites had made a raid into Najiv and the Ziklag. They had crushed Ziklag and burned it to the ground. They carried off the women and children and everyone else, but uh, and everyone else, but without killing anyone. Now notice, there's severe devastation and there's no sign of life. Severe, de- everything's burned up. There's no sign of life. All is lost and only pain resides. When David and his men saw the ruins, verse three, and realized what had happened to their families, they wept until they could weep no more. At this point, they think the worst. House is burned down. Everything's on fire. There's no sign of life. Everything's lost. Wives are dead. Children are going to be dead. They're going to be put into slavery. Everything, Everything is lost. Everything is damaged. Everything is done. And so these warriors, these men of war begin to weep. Men probably who have never wept before. Men who have never cried before are now weeping until they could weep no more. No more ability to weep, no more strength left in them to weep. At this point, they think the worst. What has happened to their women and children? And they begin to weep and they couldn't weep anymore. This is not missing people to them. This is dead or soon to be deceased. This is that grief that they're facing. Verse five, David's two wives, Ahinoam, from Jezreel and Abigail, the widow of Nabal from Carmel were among those captured. David was now in great danger. Notice the story, notice the emotion because all his men were very bitter about losing their sons and daughters. And they began to talk of stoning him. Their future is gone. The sons and daughters represented their tomorrow. There's no future for them. And they're gonna stone their leader. They're gonna kill him. Because of everything that's happened. David has lost everything as much as anyone else. They wanted to kill them because they were mad. But David found strength in the Lord his God, the Bible says. When everyone was against him, he found strength in God. One version said he strengthened himself in the Lord. He got away from those who were speaking negative. And he got alone with someone who was only going to speak positive. This world is crazy. This world is torn apart. This world is messed up. Let me get over here and talk to God. Let me strengthen myself in the Lord. Let me spend some time. I've already wept of what's happened. Let me get with God and figure out what I'm going to do next. Let me get away from the negative and get among the positive of my Savior. And so David begins to speak to the Lord and he begins to be encouraged in the Lord. Then he said to Abathar, the priest, bring me the ephod. So Abathar brought it and then David asked the Lord, 
Should I chase after this band of raiders? Should I chase after them? Will I catch them? Notice the question that David asks. He's just asking to go after them. He's just asking if I can have revenge. This is not about rescue. David just wants to fight. He's a warrior. Everything's gone. Everything's demolished. There's no sign of life. There's no sign of hope. David just wants revenge for what has been taken from him. And he says, can I go fight them? Can I chase after them? This was not about revenge. This was not about rescue. It was about revenge. And the Lord told him, yes, go after them. You will surely recover everything that was taken from you. The answer from the Lord was not what David asked, but it was everything he wanted. David just asked if I could chase after them. The Lord said, you're going to get everything back. And David's willingness to pursue and go after it. The Lord says, you're going to get everything back. David, they're not dead. They're still alive. It's all, it's devastation all around us. There's, there's, there's problems all around us. It doesn't look hopeful. I just want revenge. I just want to go after them. But the Lord says, go after them and you're going to get back everything that has been taken from you. You can chase and you will recover everything. In verse nine, so David and his 600 men set out and they came to the brook Basar. But 200 of the men were too exhausted to cross the brook. So David continued the pursuit with 400 men. Sometimes there will be some who can't make it all the way with you. But just because a third decide to stay or are too tired doesn't mean God's promise is not the same. It's because you're on this journey and not everyone goes. It's, it's, it doesn't mean God's promise changes. Just because a third are too tired and they stay, it doesn't mean God's promise changes. There's a promise of God. I want the band to come. I close with this. Along the way, they found an Egyptian man. Not a Hebrew. An Egyptian man. And a field and brought him to David. Let's read this. This is before David recovers anything. Read this. This amazing scripture, Jonathan. What happens? They gave him some bread to eat and water to drink. Verse 12. They also gave him part of a fig cake and two clusters of raisins. You research scripture, figs had these healing properties in them. Figs were given them the ability to just brought strength, instant strength. They, they began to heal something. This man was the Bible you were reading for. He had not had anything to eat or drink for three days and nights. Before long, his strength began to return. They're on this journey. I'm telling you, if I've got, if my wives and children, they're gone and I'm on this journey to go fight. And if I see someone along the way, it's going to be really difficult for me to stop. Because that's important. What I'm doing is important. Where I'm going is important. But something happened along their journey. They see this man who was weak. They see this man who was broken. They see this man who needed to eat. They see this man who needed to be healed and needed to be helped. And they stop. A lot of times we go from Ziklag and we go all the way to the camp and we forget about this story. Before long, his strength returned, gone. Verse 13, Connor. To whom do you belong? And where do you come from? They helped him before they asked him any questions. 
They ask questions later. A lot of times we want to ask questions before we offer any help. How did you get here? Well, you, this is your life. You did this. Uh, well, I don't have the time to help you because you, by your own doing, you've brought yourself here. Where do you come from? David asked him. I'm Egyptian, the slave of an Amalekite, he replied. My master abandoned me three days ago because I was sick. I was no longer any help to him. I no longer was any benefit to him. I couldn't help him anymore. My, my master abandoned me three days ago because I was sick. He was abandoned because he was sick. And then he tells his story, verse 14. We were on our way back from raiding the Carathites and Najiv, the territory of Judah and the land of Caleb. We had just burned Ziklag. Oh, okay. So it was you. Will you lead me to this band of raiders, David asked. The young man replied, if you take an oath in God's name that you will not kill me or give me back to my master, then I will guide you to them. So he led David to them. The sick man led David and his men. It wasn't the warrior. It wasn't the general. But it was the sick man that led the way to David's greatest victory in this time of his life. He led David to them and they found the Amalekites and spread out across the fields, eating and drinking and dancing with joy because of the vast amount of plunder they had taken from the Philistines in the land of Judah. And David and his men rushed in among them and slaughtered them throughout that night and the entire next day until the evening. 24-hour battle. None of the Amalekites escaped except 400 young men who fled on camels. David got back everything that the Amalekites had taken and he rescued his two wives. Nothing was missing. Small or great, son or daughter, nor anything else that had been taken. David brought, read it, everything back. Everything. This sick guy who was left on the side of the road for death, three days hadn't eaten. It was this guy that led David and his men to victory. I wager to say today that our greatest revivals are on the other side of us helping those who can't help themselves. You want everything back in your life? You help someone who doesn't have anything. The sick man led them to recover everything they were missing. David returned to the brook Besor and met up with 200 men who had left behind because they were too exhausted to go with them. They went out to meet David and his men and David greeted them joyfully. David wasn't mad he had to do all the work. He greeted them joyfully. He was happy. Can you imagine David's coming back? He's like, he's got everything. He's like, hey, buddy. Hey, John, here's your wife. I know you couldn't go fight. I know you're too tired, but I got, I got your kids too. I, I know you were exhausted, but I got your kids too because this sick man led us to victory. And you know what? I've got, I've got a witness of this sick man taking us and we got all this, we got everything back and there's no way I'm gonna allow your children to stay in captivity or allow your children to be lost. So I'm gonna bring them back to you because that's what the revival does. The revival says, you know what? We're gonna be all inclusive. 
We're going to bring everything back and we're going to help you. We're going to help you. We're going to help you. And we're going to help you. I hate an exclusive church. I don't want exclusive religion. I want, in, I want inclusive relationship. All inclusive. Bring them back. 200 received what they did not have strength to fight for. But some evil troublemakers among David's men said they didn't go with us so they can't have any of the plunder we recovered. Give them their wives and children and tell them to be gone. Give them their children and wives. But don't get anything else. But David said, no, my brothers, don't be selfish with what the Lord has given us. Even David realized that this guy who was sick, uh, the Lord has brought him into our life. And the Lord has led us. And the Lord has given us this. He has kept us safe and helped us defeat the band of ra raiders that attacked us. Verse 24. Who will listen? Who will listen when you talk like this? We share and share alike. Those who go to battle and those who guard the equipment. Helping the hurting will be what we're all about. If I am privileged to lead and to stand and to be a campus pastor, we will help the hurting. Because I believe that's what we're called to do. Help those who can't help themselves. Help those who are broken. Help those who need. Because it's like we're doing it to Jesus. And we're not doing it because it is, but Jesus gives us the revelation that you're doing it as unto me. And from then on, David made this decree. Made this a decree and regulation for Israel. And it is still followed today. See, helping the hurting changes laws and regulations for generations. They did something that may have been unheard of, that mind-boggling, but it changed the laws and it changed the regulations for generations. Our greatest victories and revivals are on the other side of us taking care of those who are sick and those who are in need. Robin mentioned something today about adopting a senior. How many can we adopt? How many can we help? How many can we provide meals for? Is it just packing your lunch a day or missing a meal and just saying, you know what, I'm gonna give this to the Lord, but also I'm gonna give the finances that it would take for me to eat to help someone if I didn't give this $15, they wouldn't have it. I know this is a different message, but I'm telling you, this is in my heart. How much can I do? How can I make a difference? How can we help? How can we help in DePaul? How, how can we help in Haiti? How can we help in the Middle East, Jordan? What can we do? I don't want to get so caught up in my world, Harris County, going about my business, doing what I need to do, taking care of my family, but forgetting all the while that there is someone who is sick and in need, and that might be the way to my greatest victory. 
That's what David was doing. He's just taking care of his kids and his family. He's going to rescue them. But because he stopped, he took care of the man who was in need. He took care of the man who was sick and they brought him along with them. See, a lot of times we just want to stop and say, hey, I've taken care of it. I'm good. The Bible says they took him. Will you show us? Will you come with us? I believe there's a revival happening in our lives and our relationships all around us. It's not just about giving them something, but it's also taking them with us and seeing one of the greatest revivals and victories in our lives. No longer passing up somebody. No longer not stopping and showing the love of Jesus Christ because that truly is salvation. Salvation, not by the works that I've done, but you will know that you're saved by the works that you do. If you've done it to the least of these, you've done it unto me. In our world today, there's hurting people. You're gonna see some today that God's gonna just touch your heart. And maybe it's a coat that you're gonna give them. Maybe it's shoes, maybe it's a meal. Maybe there's someone in prison that you need to go visit. Maybe there's a ministry that you need to get involved in to help those who are hurting. Let me encourage you today. Go after that. Do that. There's a burden in your heart to make a difference. There's a burden in your heart to do something. Go do it. Let's do it. Let's partner together. Let's see God rescue those people through your, through what your, your vision, through your heart, through your passion. I believe it today. He clothed those, fed those, gave those who are thirsty to drink. You've done it unto me. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you for your word that's clear and that's for all of us. Your word that's timeless. Your word that we can understand. It's a mirror. It's looking at it and saying, yeah, I need to help. I need to do something. And I pray, God, today that we wouldn't get so busy, caught up in what we should be doing, taking care of our families, that we forget to help those who are hurting. God, I'm praying today for every person in this room. God, this may be stepping out on a limb. This may be stepping uh, out in a place they've never been before, but it's out on the limb where the fruit's at. Uh, it's, it's stepping out in areas they've never walked on before, but it's on walking on water where miracles happen. It's beyond the borders. It's beyond our comfort zone. It's beyond the areas that we have a true understanding and just know everything all about, but it's stepping out and doing something that may be a little uncomfortable, extending that hand and, and going that extra mile, being that second mile person in a one mile world. I wanna do that. I wanna be that for someone. I wanna be salt and light in this world. I wanna be agents of change and understand for salt to work, it has to come in contact with what it's wanting to change. And one thing about light, you don't mistake it for anything other than what it is. It is light. God, let us be those agents of change in this world. Let us be salt. Let us be light. Let us make a difference. Let us help those who are hurting. 
just small steps, just simple solution. No strings, we're doing it just because it's the right thing to do. We see you, Jesus, when we do it, we're gonna save the sick as our greatest revival and victories are on the other side of helping those who are hurting. In Jesus' name, amen.